He says, since you are members of one body, you are called to peace. Being in the body means peace. And we should be at peace with one another in the body. And in Romans 12, 4 to 5, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to all. And so there's, there's some common themes about what it means to be together in the body of Christ. But I want us to root ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for the remainder of our session this morning. So if you want to open your Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are going to do a bit of exegesis on that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we'll start with verses 12 to 20. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body... um, And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many members. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the sense of smell? What if the whole body was one big nose? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. That was me, by the way, not Paul. (laughs) If the whole body was an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are members, there are many members, but one body. In order to understand this subject, I want us to think about where Paul is coming from. And often in the background of what Paul's thinking are the first chapters in Genesis. In those first chapters of Genesis, we see recorded God creating body in the new covenant he's created the body of christ and paul is looking to the creation of that body to reference what we are together and just as god assembled that one body with all its diverse parts and breathed into it the breath of life so god assembles us at many parts and breathes into us by his spirit life that we might function and do his will, just as the first humans were called to function and do his will on the earth. So we together, in the same way, are just like that. But it's not a human body that God's created. It's the body of the Messiah, the church, which is to fulfill the original mandate given to the first body, to fill the earth with the glory of God. Secondly, he uses this term body of Christ or body of the Messiah. And of course, this is in contrast with Israel. In other words, it's in Jesus that God has created a new humanity that will be the reconciled and reconciling community of God in the earth. Thirdly, Paul is emphasizing that this new community is made up from all believers who confess Jesus as Lord and who have received the Holy Spirit. The body is not divided along ethnic lines. It's not divided along economic lines or any other lines. 
God takes a whole bunch of disparate people and throws them into a pot and say, look, you're a body. You may not like me. I may not like you. But we're thrown together by the spirit of Jesus. Not just to like one another, but to love one another. And of greatest emphasis in this passage is unity and diversity. And what Paul is writing against here is any idea of super-Christians who consider themselves better than other Christians for whatever reason. He's saying, just because I've got this gift, I'm not better than you. And just because you have got that gift, you're not better or, or worse than me. We're all equal. We've all got a role to play. We all have something to contribute. We've all got something to bring. He's speaking to those who think they're super-Christians, but he's also speaking to those who have low estimation of their own value because everybody has got something to bring and something to give. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honourable on those we bestow more abundant honour. And our less presentable members, we we, uh, become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honour to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care of one another. For if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. And so picking up this notion that there should be no elitism in the body of Christ, Paul goes on to make some further points. Firstly, he says that nobody in the body of Christ is indispensable. Just as they may not be fulfilling that which is deemed as the most important function within the body, doesn't mean that what they do is not of value or necessary. Did I say indispensable? I meant dispensable. Nobody is dispensable. We're all needed. Every one of us, whether we feel it or not, we're all needed. We all have a role to play. We all have a function. We all have something we can bring. No matter how we feel about ourselves, God has placed us here for purpose. There is nobody excluded from this. There is nobody who God says, no, you're no good. I can't use you. God wants to use every single one of us. We all have a part to play. Just because we we may not be fulfilling that which is deemed to be the most important function within the body doesn't mean it's not of value or necessary. I, for one, am very grateful for those who come and set up chairs and PA, make the coffee, put up the banners, and make sure this room is ready for us to worship God. These roles are often unseen, but are essential for the smooth running of the church. I think sometimes within the church I observe a bit of a celebrity culture. Not our church necessarily, but in the church wider. Where those people who have the most obvious gifts are lauded, just as we would people in the secular culture. People become starstruck when they meet famous preachers or worship leaders. This isn't how it should be in the body of Christ. We are all just people whom God has gifted in different ways. And, and who are all needed. 
We all have equal measure in the sight of God. And we should behave in a way that affirms that. Nobody's gift is better than somebody else's gift. No matter how uh, visual it might be, everybody's gift is, is vital and useful and important. The emphasis is also on the fact that those who are the most gifted shouldn't look down on the others who are less gifted or who are less well-educated or less well-off. The body needs every one of us, and that's the way God's designed it to be. You see, which is the most important gift? (laughs) Well, that is (laughs) the gift of Jesus. But amongst us, which is the most important gift? Prophecy is certainly held as an important gift. But of course, I'm I'm asking a trick question, so you're not going to get the answer right. (laughs) The most important gift is the one that gets the job done. (laughs) It's the one that's needed in the moment. And who knows who's got that gift at that moment for the task, for the situation, for the circumstance that God wants to use. No one gift is so big that it makes the others insignificant. Certainly, Paul says, um, desire the higher gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So David is correct from a Pauline perspective. But actually, it's, it's about using whatever God's given us to bless the body. God does gift us individually and uniquely in order that together we can complete the task that he has given us to do. What would it be like if one person had all the gifts? Well, firstly, there's a good chance they might become arrogant because they wouldn't actually need anyone else. Secondly, it would disable everyone else in the body because there'd be no no room for anyone else to exercise their gifts. And ultimately, this situation would not build up the body of Christ, it would destroy it. And it's for this reason that God distributes gifts amongst us all. And for that reason, we all need to use our gifts. Secondly, Paul emphasizes that honor should be given to all as they exercise their gifting, no matter how important that gift might appear. He does this by reference to our private parts. It may not be so obvious in our, in our English translation, but that's what he's referring to. Essentially, he's saying that these are our God-like characteristics because they are creative and reproductive. Thus, we don't put them on display and honor them, but we keep them concealed. Thank God. (laughs) On the other hand, the more public parts of our body, our head and our hands... They're the parts that do the graft and receive least honor. We honor the private parts by keeping them hidden. We honor our public parts because everyone can see them. Hands, head. And so he's saying it doesn't matter as long as every part is honored in an appropriate way. So it's important to honor all who serve amongst us. His point is that everybody part of the body of Christ should receive honor, respect and thanks for the work they do. So remember to thank and honor, especially those who serve. Thirdly, he identifies the fact that if one member suffers, all suffer. And if one part celebrates, 
all, suffer, all celebrate. If I'm listening to a beautiful piece of music, it's not just my ear that's enjoying it. It's the whole of me that enjoys it. If my ear went off and listened to the music for the day, I'd be rather stuck when I went about to do my daily tasks. Same, if I bang my, ha- my thumb with a hammer, it's not just that my thumb that experiences the pain. My whole body experiences the pain. And for some people, that means their mouth then sends something out that may not be appropriate. In the same way, Paul is saying that if one of us is blessed, we should all rejoice in that blessing. And if one suffers, we should all sympathize with that person who is suffering. And I think things like the prayer page and the prayer chain are helpful in this because we know what's going on with people a bit more and we can pray and lift one another up. It's also relevant as we think about the body of Christ across the world. When, where one part is in revival, we can rejoice with them. When one part is suffering persecution, we can sympathize with them, take a stand for them, and help them in whatever way we can. The key to all of this is not just to see ourselves as an individual Christian doing the work of God in splendid isolation, but recognizing that we cannot do it alone, that we all need each other. Which brings us to the last part of this passage, verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are all prophets, uh, sorry, all are not prophets, are they? All are not, uh, sorry, apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he goes on to show a more excellent way of putting love at the heart of it. And in this final part of the passage, Paul illustrates what he's been saying and applies it by reference to a specific list of gifts that God has placed in the body. And we're not going to go and do a bit of teaching on each one of them, especially given the time. But there are some practical, there are some ministry gifts here. Apostle, prophet, and teacher. There are some practical gifts that make the church work. Helps being one of them. What's the gift of helps? Helping who? (laughs) Helping each other. The root, actually, of the word help, in the original, it's associated with ministering specifically to the poor. It was like the role that the deacons did in actually ministering to the widows and so on. It's having a heart for those who are less well-off than ourselves. That's the gift of helps. It also means helping one another, of course, but it's specifically around that whole area of helping the poor. Then he says administrations. What's that? (laughs) I'm sure you are, Natalie. Don't put yourself down. Haven't you read the rest of the passage before? <laughs> well, Pat should be able to help us with this because in the original, the word is piloting. What does a pilot do, Pat? It gives advice to whoever wants to take it to, to a ship or whatever it might be. So he's giving directions in order that the, the, the ship can be steered in the right place. 
that's exactly what that gift is. It's the one who brings direction so the ship can go in the, to the right place, into the harbour or out to sea. So it's a, a leadership kind of role. It's those who hear from God and say, this is the way we need to go. And then brings direction to the body of Christ. And then finally in that list, Paul mentions tongues to indicate the supernatural gifts, which are also a crucial part. So there's leadership gifts, there's ministry gifts, there's practical gifts, there's steering gifts, there's helping the poor gifts. Sure, each one of us have got at least one of those. And Paul is saying, whether you're in leadership or not, you have a role in the church and responsibility to the other members to exercise your gifting for the building up of the body of Christ. And in doing this, we should honor one another, not become arrogant or elitist, and should seek to remain in harmony and peace with one another so that the body of Christ can be built up and grow. I'm almost there. They can come in. We are the hands, the eyes, the ears, the feet, and the voice of Jesus Christ in the world. As such, we're part of one another and need to exercise whatever gift or gifts God has given us to ensure the body is strong and able to function. The end result of this is so that we complete the purpose God has given us to do, which is to carry his glory and his image into the whole world, to restore the world to what it was intended to be. And this comes about as we liberate people from the corruption of the fall and bring them under the headship of Jesus Christ and into his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have connected us with one another in your body. And I pray, Lord God, that if at the moment we are not functioning for whatever reason, you will, Lord God, stir within us the gifts that you have placed on our lives, that, Lord God, each one of us might find our role, our position, and might begin to use it for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. Amen.